Hey, welcome everyone. This is the latest edition of Popular Technology Radio. So glad to have you with me today. Hopefully your day is going swimmingly as we slowly make our way into summer. And joining us today is my good friend, as he was last week. He's still my good friend. He is Jeffrey Morrison. Of course, he is the editor-at-large of The Wirecutter. He is also a freelance writer and photographer for CNET and The New York Times. He is no longer in the Caribbean. Jeff, you are just like the regular rank-and-file human today. You are home, yes? I am home. How boring. How utterly, utterly boring. Poor you. But in six weeks, I'll be gone again, so... Oh, stop with the... <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. So do you have your party hat on today, Jeff? Because it's the ninth anniversary of the release of the iPad. You not being an Apple guy, I'm going to guess you do not have your party hat on. Well, I decided in I put an iPad on my head. Does that count? <laughs> it does. It's, it does. It's hard to believe it was nine years ago that the first iPad it was... Does. And I'll say, I mean, I, I'm not an Apple fan, and I own one Apple product, and that's an iPod. But the iPad is a f- fantastic product. It always has been. That is a solid piece of kit. It is. And others, before and after, others have come and done tablets. Why do you think the Apple iPad was so solid upon its release? 300000 in that first day, by the way. Yeah. I mean, I think... A lot of it has to do with what Apple does best, which is it just works. You take it out, it works. It does all of the things that you would want it to do. It has all the content there. And it's just something that Android tablets just have not been able to match just kind of by the very nature of Android, which then I say that as someone who owns and loves an Android phone. So, yeah, it's um, I can give it to my parents or someone who's not that technical and they can figure it out immediately. It just That's what Apple's great at. But it's always stumped me. Obviously, I I haven't seen the latest market share numbers, but Android in the U.S. is more popular than the iPhone. I'm going to say mostly for cost reasons. But why haven't they been able to duplicate that in tablet land? I think it has something to do with Apple's kind of singular focus and singular like ecosystem. Like Everything has to work, and they can make it that way. Whereas Android, because it's so many different companies... It has more of a free form kind of, well, this company is going to do it slightly in this way and this company is going to do it slightly in this way. And it just makes it a little less cohesive of an experience, I guess. I would concur with that. But it just seems like we would see the same marketplace observations with tablets and with phones. It doesn't seem that much different to me. Yet in terms of tablets, it is still overwhelmingly uh, iPads. It's interesting (laughs) to completely derail the argument. I have no interest in spending that kind of money on a device that's not actually a computer. And I just recently purchased a Microsoft Surface Go, Mm -hmm. which is a tiny little computer. And it is an actual computer. Now, you can take the keyboard off and it feels like a tablet. It's that size. It's a 10-inch screen. But it actually runs Windows. And I think... I don't know. That's why I get kind of confused with this stuff because I look at it as like, okay, yes, that size is fantastic, but it doesn't really do everything that I would want it to do as a computing device. Whereas like the Surface Go, and there's a number of other ones that my colleagues have jokingly called crap tops, where they're they're very inexpensive, (laughs) actual Windows computers, but they're just very small, very inexpensive, super long battery life. So I get the idea of having something small and with a big screen that works, but then you're spending multiple hundreds of dollars on something that doesn't actually function fully as a computer is a little weird to me. 
But that's, as I said, derail the argument, derail the conversation. Well, Let's talk but, about this instead. But, but interestingly enough, you know, Windows couldn't make it happen in the sure. phone land, and yet they sure. have kind of found a place in tablets. So, you yeah. know, they are two distinct markets. But you would think, or at least I would think, you would kind of see the same things in each. They're not that different of markets, but. And yet somehow they are. I totally agree. And you're right. It took Microsoft a while to figure it out. Phone's aspect didn't work. But then they figured out this, the Surface, they're like, that's has turned to be very popular for them and gets very good reviews, uh, including for me. I love this thing. It's a tablet size, but it's what I would call an actual computer because it runs a full version of Windows. So, right. yeah, it's a, kind of a weird, like, middle ground between an actual tablet and an actual computer. Yeah. And in fact, no pun intended. We really aren't talking apples to apples. It is a Correct. different thing than than a tablet is. True, what? although if you handed it to most people who aren't tech-oriented, they would probably think it's the same thing. They're just like, oh, it's a tablet with a keyboard. I'm like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it sort of is, sort of it is. sort of is, but it isn't, yeah. Well, it was interesting to go back, because I remember very clearly when the iPad was released, it was hardly a secret. Lots of tech folks were saying, you know, this is likely coming. It's likely going to be like this. But when they announced it, 300,000 were sold on the first day. I think it was April 3rd. So we're actually slightly later than the true anniversary date. But a month later, it sold a million. And that was just half the time it took Apple to sell the same number of original iPhones. They reached 3 million sales after 80 days. And on the financial call in October of 2010, Steve Jobs announced that Apple had sold more iPads than Macs for the fiscal quarter. Mm. Sold more than 15 million of that first-generation iPad up until the the launch of iPad 2. So, my goodness, it opened up the floodgates and... And here you we know, are. That, that Apple, they, they seem like they might do pretty well as a company. <laughs> well, funny, because some people are saying they're a little cold at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I can see that, but they'll figure it out. Such a plucky upstart. Yes, they are. And on that note, let us take a quick commercial break. You're listening to Popular Technology Radio. I happen to be Mike Etchar, and I am joined by Jeffrey Morrison, and we are coming right back. So stick with us. It's Pop Tech Radio. Cancer is the number one cause of death by disease for children in the U.S. today. Since the Austin Hatcher Foundation's birth in 2006, it has grown to provide unique programs to help the children and the families affected by pediatric cancer. Support begins at the time of diagnosis and continues throughout survivorship at no cost to families. Lives touched by the foundation continue to rise each day. But we need your help. Donate, volunteer, or partner with the Austin Hatcher Foundation. Learn how you can get involved. Visit HatcherFoundation.org for more information. Welcome back, everyone. Popular Technology Radio, Mike at Chart here with Jeffrey Morrison. He, of course, editor-at-large for The Wirecutter. And he, of course, is a freelance photographer and writer for CNET and The New York Times. All-around groovy guy. And I feel like I'm going to school with this. Now, you are writing an article that's on AI scaling. And you told me about that, and I don't even know what the heck that is. So, <laughs> um, All right, I, so we're going to spend the next 45 minutes talking about this. No, <laughs> uh, AI scaling is Samsung's name for this technology. Sony and LG are doing something similar. Let's start from the very beginning. So scaling is the process that a TV uses to take a lower resolution signal, like Blu-ray, mm-hmm. and convert that to something that a 4K or 8K television can actually show 
By the way, can we just say that humorously you're calling Blu-ray a lower quality image? I know, isn't that crazy? That how, is, how, how quickly things change. <laughs> yes. Still looks pretty good on my TV. Oh, and it will always look good because yeah. it is a solid source. But in order to show that on a 4K TV, no matter what, you have to scale it. We are in 4K land officially now, it sounds Oh, yeah. Like. yeah. So if you were just to show a Blu-ray on a 4K TV without scaling it, it would just be a small rectangle in the center of the screen surrounded by huge black bars. Gotcha. Essentially, scaling is like zooming in on the picture. So mm-hmm. it fills the screen. And this is something that TVs have done since the beginning of the HD era, because you've always had lower resolution content that you had to show on a television. And that scaling or upconverting, that has progressed, obviously, just like all other technology, and it gotten better and better and better. And what this kind of latest generation of TVs are doing, or at least how Samsung is doing it, is they're using artificial intelligence to look at a huge amount of content of different resolutions, different things, so like sports and movies and live TV and everything, and then kind of determining how to make that content that it looked at look good. So it's like, okay, well, here's the processes that I can do to make, let's say, sports look good or football look good. That's great, but then the TV needs to know how to do that. So on the other end of it, the TV is going to analyze the content that you're showing on it, let's say football again, and know, oh, that looks like football. I'm going to change my settings, the TV is talking, because of course it's sentient, because it has AI. <laughs> so the TV is going to say, okay, I'm looking at this and I, you're watching football, so I'm going to apply these technologies that I have noise reduction, edge enhancement, and so forth, to make that football look the best it possibly can. And it does that with everything. Whatever you're showing it, whatever you're watching on it, it can then say, oh, I know what that is. That's a movie, so I'm going to make it look like this to make it look as good as possible. Sony has a similar thing. They don't call it AI, but they're doing a similar thing with, uh, I think it's called dual database processing. LG has something kind of similar uh, part of their Think AI suite where it kind of determines different picture settings and so forth. But it's just kind of the next evolution of picture processing, which every TV has to do. It's using data from other content. Is that already built in when it leaves the factory, or is it right. continually updating its own database? Right now, the way it does it is at the factory, they're designing it with machine learning, looking at all of this content. They're creating different filters is one way of calling it. Different filters to say, okay, football is going to look like this and so forth. All of that is then in the television. And then the television will determine what of those filters to use. But with Samsung, and I assume with LG and Sony as well, they don't talk about it as much, but with Samsung specifically, they can download new filters uh-huh. into the television and update it. But the television itself isn't learning. The learning process is done separately, and then the television is just doing the analyzation of the image. Okay, so, I was laughing at you when you said we're going to talk about this for 45 minutes, but now I can see that you might. <laughs> but on that note, we got to take a quick break. We're talking to Jeffrey Morrison. I believe this is called a rabbit hole. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. AI scaling, why you need to know about that, why it's coming, and what the heck it is. So stay with us. We're coming right back. It's Pop Tech Radio. Brembo has been stopping champions on the track as well as drivers like you and me on the street for over 50 years. 
Whether it's UV-coated brake discs, low-dust premium ceramic brake pads, or high-temperature brake fluid, BremboStoreUSA.com is the place to go to buy genuine Brembo OE-equivalent replacement brake components. Go to BremboStoreUSA.com to help you achieve that 60-0 braking performance you deserve and expect from Brembo. Brembo, the choice of champions and consumers for over 50 years. Tech Radio, Mike Etchart with Jeff Morrison. He, of course, is the editor-at-large for The Wirecutter, freelance writer for CNET and The New York Times. He is working on a piece as we speak about AI scaling. And I will never not believe Jeff again when he says this is this could be a 45-minute discussion. <laughs> it is something that 4K TVs are now going to be doing to upscale, it's shocking to say this, but lower quality content such as Blu-ray onto a 4K screen. And it sounds like science fiction, Jeff. It does a little bit. And, and I should say, like, it's some televisions are doing this. At the moment, this is found in some of the higher end new, like, 2019 models. And we'll see if it is kind of, I think it probably will trickle down into other models. But, you know, we'll see. So it's potentially a slight improvement in picture quality. This isn't world changing. This isn't the new version of OLED or it's going to look better than anything else in the world. With any picture processing, it's incremental improvements and it always has been. You would ask me on the break, starting from what are they doing now kind of thing. Um, early on, kind of the easiest way to do scaling is if you have a lower resolution image, has a set number of individual pixels. You basically just duplicate those pixels. Let's say for every one pixel, you have four pixels. They all look the same as that original one. Mm -hmm. But now you can fill the screen with that. And that's kind of the simplest way to do it and simplest way to think about it. And as processing kind of got faster and better, it became smarter and better done. So then the processing would say, okay, well, instead of just duplicating into four pixels, now we'll look at what the other pixels are nearby and kind of determine how best to have those steps in between and is this an edge is this an edge of an image so then we can make it sharper by doing this and make it better transitions so that's a smoother image and so forth but the problem is as it is now is that you can't really just apply one thing to every image or to every kind of content i suppose right correct so making sports look good might not look good with movies so TV engineers kind of had to kind of create something that was like a best fit for everything. So maybe movies don't look quite as good as they could. Sports might not look quite as good as it could, but the two of them look fine. And to an extent, you could kind of maybe have different settings in the television that you could adjust to make one look better and so forth. But most people didn't do that. So what this AI aspect is doing is kind of twofold. So... On the TV side, it's having significantly more filters and, and settings to adjust and then looking at the content and kind of automatically applying those settings. And then on the TV manufacturing side is looking as much content as possible, the machine learning aspect, and coming up with all these different filters and say, okay, well, now there's, let's say, 100 different ways we can do this. Well, we can put all 100 into a television and the television will just figure it out without the user, the viewer doing anything. Now, in terms of the cost of a set, this is basically software, I assume, or maybe some 
element of hardware to this. But for the most part, it sounds like this, while cool and while the next sort of step along the way of scaling, it's probably not a tremendous cost on the manufacturing side, I assume. Is that correct? More or less. So you'd need to have a fast enough processor in the television. Mm -hmm. And that was always an easy way for TV manufacturers to save money is by putting a really cheap and slow processor. So if you remember back in like the early smart TV days where it would take forever for a TV to boot up and you'd be sitting there while it's staring at the screen or, you know, yeah, or it takes forever for Netflix to load. Or if there's a big difference between someone's mouth moving and then you hearing their voice, that there's a lip sync error. These are all problems that typically have to do with a slow processor in the television. But as the chips have gotten cheaper and manufacturers realize that this is something that they can kind of differentiate themselves. So, you know, Samsung, obviously, they can't compete in the cheapest, cheapest televisions. So what can they do on the high end to say, okay, well, this is why you'd want to spend money on an expensive TV. So once they started putting these faster processors, and the fact that processors have gotten cheaper always in general, that they can put these chips in there that can do this stuff. So does it add cost Not necessarily. These chips are probably going into these expensive TVs anyway. But it does mean that in the lower price ranges, they might not have processors that can do this yet. But again, two or three years from now, as those chips get cheaper, then yes, maybe. I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at. Is This is going to trickle down because eventually it's just going to be another feature that is like 4K, that even the bargain basement sets will likely have this in a couple of years. Could be. And we'll see. There might be something new and different that makes it easier. Who knows? To get, yes, it's possible. Yeah, exactly. To get the same results. Well, and I assume we're going to start seeing this in 2019 models. So this is... This yeah, is they're starting to talk about it now, yeah. Yeah, so it's not out yet, but it's coming. Uh, Sony's talking about it now already. It's on their dual database thing. They've actually been talking about that for like a year or two, I think, maybe more. Or at least they've been explaining it better. So that actually has been around for at least a couple years. But LG's version of it and Samsung's versions of it, they're kind of making a bigger deal of it now for 2019. Yeah. But again, we're talking incremental improvement. And oh, yeah. Don't look- buy a TV just because of this. Right. Exactly. So if you're in the market for a new TV and, you, and you're in that bracket where you're going to spend a little bit more money than most, look for that. Yeah, and I guess my purpose for doing the article is when you see it, it's not necessarily just some random buzzword, that there is some tech behind this, that it could be a slight difference. But yeah, it's not going to be a differentiating factor. And it's just interesting because I'm a nerd. (laughs) If you're listening to the show and you're on the show, we're all nerds. Yeah, fair enough. On that note, we got to take a quick commercial break. We, of course, have got Jeff Morrison on the show. He's the editor-at-large at at the Wirecutter and other places as well. We're now going to go from visuals to sonics when we come back. So we're talking earbuds, etc. We got more for you. It's Pop Tech Radio. Stick with us. We're coming right back. It's Dodge Performance Days, where that new car smell gets replaced by the scent of burned rubber. With Dodge Charger and its available best-in-class 485 horsepower, Dodge Challenger Hellcat Red Eye, with up to 797 horsepower and 707 pound-feet of torque, and the powerful seven-passenger Dodge Durango. Hurry in for great deals now at Dodge Performance Days. Warren's Large Regular Car Vehicle Segment. Dodge is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC.
And we are back, Pop Tech Radio. Mike Etchard, Jeff Morrison. He, of course, editor at large at the Wirecutter. We were talking about visual things back in AI scaling in the last segment, and I want us to transition over to headphones because I can't talk enough about headphones, Jeff. There's just mm. there's so, there's so much. There's so much fun. I don't know if I'm in the minority or if I'm in the majority, but everybody I know loves AirPods, Apple's wireless headphones. And I think not only do they look goofy, I don't care for the sound of them. And yet they're right. incredibly successful. Where are you in that spectrum of, of interest in Apple's AirPods? Well, I mean, zero. But <laughs> you're right. I mean, they don't sound great, but neither did the originals. You know, the original wired versions, but people love those as well. Like, you know, everyone likes to show off their Apple stuff. I, I get annoyed when I see people in a group with friends or talking with other people, and they just have these things in like their jewelry. And that, to me, seems really kind of <laughs> lame. Lauren Dragon reviews headphones for the wire cutter, and she has reviewed more headphones than anybody at this point. And she was skeptical of the true wireless. You know, obviously, no wires whatsoever. They're just right. hanging near ears. There's a number of different companies that are making them now. She was pretty skeptical of them, but kind of once she got used to them, once the companies worked out the bugs, because those first couple generations were terrible, they're kind of neat. She kind of likes them, doesn't love them, but her pick right now at the wire cutters from Jabra, the Elite 65T, and they're you know, a little bit cheaper than the AirPods, but they sound good and they do all sorts of you know, cool stuff. But I think that's going to fall in deaf's ears that anyone who wants AirPods are just going to buy AirPods. <laughs> well, and now there's a new second generation AirPod out. Yeah, uh, and the battery life's a little bit better. Yep. They work a little bit better. As you can say, hey, Siri, and have it, you know, oh, and actually, I probably just activated a bunch of people's phones by saying that. <laughs> um, <laughs> hope you're not listening on speakers. And yeah, so they kind of do all these other tricks. And, they, you know, sure, you know, if that's, hey, if that's your thing and you want to do it, go for it. But you can get better sound. You know, well, and obviously. for me, it might just be a physiology problem for me. Is like you said, I've never liked just the regular earbuds that came with you know all the Apple devices from the beginning. Right. They just don't feel good in my ears. And the time I tried AirPods, it was the same thing. It just I, I just didn't like the feeling of it. Separate from the audio benefits of that particular technology and, and that particular product. It just didn't feel good. I don't, in general, like things inside of my ears. I prefer them just kind of outside. Mm. But they are incredibly popular and successful. They really I are. Suspect, I think the latest ones are, I guess they're always they're about a little over 150 bucks, 160 something like that. And I ultimately, I don't like things that are battery powered because ultimately when I want to use them, I've forgotten to charge yeah. them. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm in the minority of that either. I don't mind wired headphones, I suppose. But Same. Yeah. I mean, this is one aspect of my tech life where I am slightly a bit of a Luddite in that I still have a traditional iPod. I mean, it's an iPod Touch because my iPod Classic was stolen on an overnight train in Italy. Wonder. I miss it. I miss it. So I have an iPod Touch and I'm wired headphones. They're in-ear headphones, but they're headphones. For music, I want this separate device that just does that, that has a nice, long, reasonably long charge, completely separate from my phone, not wireless, you know, has great sound quality. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I guess I'm not interested in having that true wireless experience because to me, I'm walking around some random place. I'm going to lose one of these things. 
that's there. Well, now you have to pay drag for that. if you lose one of them, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you're buying another set no matter what. Well, I think they do. I think you can buy from Apple like one of them. Oh, can you? Oh, I, didn't know that. I think so. But it's still going to be 80 bucks, 100 bucks or something. Um, I should probably look that up before I say that. But before I'm pretty say, sure yeah. you can. Like you can match one if you've lost one. But still, like there's no wires. So all you got to do is like bump something. Now it's gone. And I don't know. I lose everything anyway. I would lose certainly one of them. So yeah, it's, that's kind of a non-starter for me. Um, but in general, sonically speaking, are we, are you losing much between wired and wireless these days? So that actually is an interesting conversation. Um, there is a mindset that by going to Bluetooth and going to wireless that you have this huge penalty in sound quality. And that's not technically the case anymore. I mean, wired is probably going to sound a little better but you're dealing with compressed music kind of no matter what mm-hmm. so the difference with modern bluetooth technology and using compressed music it's not going to be that big a difference i don't think most people would even hear it and there are all these technologies like app decks that claim to have this much higher f- fidelity with over bluetooth and Brent Butterworth, who you know and is now with the Wirecutter and yes. a couple other places. And a stage. frequent guest. on And a frequent guest. Yeah, I'd recommend asking him about this, too. But he did a test that's available on his website where you can listen to files kind of encoded with the Bluetooth codec to see if you can hear a difference. And most people can't. There's such a slight difference in Bluetooth versus you know the Bluetooth codec. It's not as big of a difference as it used to be. So wireless in general doesn't necessarily have to have a sound penalty hit. It's more of is that headphone designed in a way that sounds good. Right. Separate from the wireless aspect. And that, of course, is to taste. And True. Well, I mean, uh, speaking of rabbit holes, that boy talking. Oh, oh, yeah. But it's one that I wholeheartedly support because for me, it's all about the sound. And I like good sound and I can sometimes tell the difference. But so we'll see with this, the latest AirPods improved wireless performance. They say same battery life, which has been actually pretty good. I will say that about the AirPods. But again, it's the same kind of in-ear fit. It may not be for you, but check them out. And then most people don't talk about this, but I still say they're just kind of dorky looking. Even if they sounded awesome, I'm not sure I'd wear them. <laughs> but there are going to be people who are the exact opposite. They want them just for the looks. Just to, for the To looks. have that. And they are. I just looked it up while we're talking. It's $70 to replace a lost AirPod. Oh, it is. All right. Well, that's, I did not know that. So you learn something every day. And on that note, we got to take a quick break. We're talking with Jeff Morrison. You're listening to Pop Tech Radio, and we will be right back. Have you ever tried to plan a vacation and the hotel costs, airfare, and pet sitter all add up to one big never mind? Well, it's time to embrace the adventure and go RVing instead. GoRVing.com is your one-stop shop for all things RV camping. Browse the different types of RVs, find a rental agent or dealer near you, and compare the costs. Explore more than 16,000 RV parks and campgrounds nationwide, and even plan your menus for the trip. Find out what you've been missing at GoRVing.com. That's GoRVing.com. And we are back. Pop Tech Radio, Mike Etchart, Jeffrey Morrison, he, the editor-at-large at at The Wirecutter. And now I know 
because we were talking in between the breaks that he also has dainty ear canals. <laughs> dainty ear canals. Now we were talking. I told you that in confidence. <laughs> we were talking about earbuds and AirPods. A super valid point that nobody thinks of, or I didn't think about it, is that not only are everybody's ears a different size, we know that, but apparently everybody has different sized ear canals. Exactly. And typically speaking, someone with a smaller head would have smaller ear canals, but not necessarily. So that's kind of how we got onto this is that I have very small ear canals. So when you get multiple tips with a pair of headphones, the small ones are the ones that fit me. And that's smaller than the other reviewers at Wirecutter by far. So I'm usually brought in. It's like, oh, these don't fit us. Do they fit you? They, they usually do. So the AirPod design that kind of hang on the outer part of the ears are actually more comfortable for me than in-ear headphones that kind of, you know, stick in your ear like someone put in a Q-tip, mm-hmm. which are usually very painful for me, and I hate them. So my go-to pair of headphones that I've had for ages now are the B&W C5 Series 2, which have a little bit of a part that goes in the ear, but then have a, a loop that holds on to the outer part of the ear. So this doesn't require pressure going into the ear canal, which just wouldn't be comfortable for me. Yeah, Sennheiser also makes some workout headphones with kind of a similar. Yes, and Bose has some with a little bit of a hook out there. And there's the B&O, I think, has one. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's multiple designs that do it. And, and so that's much more comfortable for me. So if someone has never had found in-ear headphones comfortable. This is probably why. It's it's not really talked about much. I mean, we talk about it at Wirecutter all the time, but it's not something that most people think about. And like you said, it's not something really talked about. So it might not be beyond the realm of possibility that your ears are just a different size than what that company designed for. And it's just, you need to get a different set of headphones or a different set of tips. Maybe foam tips would fit better and so forth. Getting a, the right fit is vital also because if you don't get a good fit, you might not get any bass or you might not get, you might get a muffled sound or you might get weird sound or you might get too much ambient sound. Like this getting a good fit for headphones or earplugs or anything is vital. Fit is vital. It's the number one. And if it's somewhat usually related to the size of your head, you can probably drive a truck through my ear canal. (laughs) So I don't care for things in my ear canal, no matter what. And maybe that's why it has to do with size, but I just terribly uncomfortable and it's just a weird sensation to me of course in the last segment we're talking about the airpods and now there are rumors by the way that amazon is coming out with kind of a similar product but unlike what you might think this is not really to compete with apple more likely ironically compete with google and not that google is making airpods that we know of but this is all about google's home hub versus amazon's home hub you know the assistants i don't think we've chatted about assistance are you in one camp or another when it comes to kind of i have both in the house i have a little alexa and i have a google home mini that they sent me with my pixel phone so we have them both here and it's interesting because the google home picks up what we're saying and understands it much faster Mm. than the alexa noticeably faster to the point where we, we've actually kind of stopped using the Alexa to do anything other than set timers and we just put it in the kitchen. Um, and then the other interesting part is how Alexa is a bit of a sexist. She does not understand female voices nearly as well as the Google Home. And that's something that Wait. we've noticed in my house. A friend of mine is kind of the same thing where it's a couple and even if they're just sitting right next to each other, same distance, same background noise, Alexa will not listen to her 
and not recognize her, but will listen to him and recognize him. So that's interesting. Really? Oh, interesting. That is fascinating. Yeah. So this could be anecdotal, you know, could just be a random chance that happened with both of us. I have not written about this or researched it, but (laughs) it's interesting. Do you have a philosophical preference between the two? Because obviously they are into this market for different reasons. Philosophically, they're all awful. And they are terrifying that they are listening all the time. Now, there's no proof that they're storing anything that you're saying, but you have a microphone connected to the Internet in your house. Like, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that this other thing, you know, that problems could arise. Yeah. Uh, But that said, obviously, I only have so many F's to give in in a given day. And this is beyond as much as I can. Like, you know what? If someone wants to listen in, I just I, – I have too many other things I need to care about. <laughs> I just want to turn on the lights of my theater with, right. by saying it. I don't – you know, like uh. – And I've kind of messed with all of them, obviously. But I don't have any of them in my house because for various reasons I dislike – on one hand, I love Amazon. I'm a, a big customer of theirs, too big of a customer of theirs. But I don't want to empower them any further. And I feel yeah. – And that's what these headphones would be. Is that yes. they, they want to, they want your data. They want more of you talking. Yes. Um, and, oh, I just sure. don't want to go there. And that's kind of why when I'm purchasing one, I'm probably going to get the Apple one, you know, which you can say what you want about Apple as well. But between the three, I think they are the least. They are. We've done a, articles about that at Wirecutter where Apple is the least likely to sell and steal your data compared to other companies. It's not to say that they are a saint by any stretch, but they are compared to pretty much everybody else. Well, and that's becoming part of their mantra, their marketing mantra right now is that, you know, we are secure. And you probably saw that big sign. Yeah. That Which with- all of that is still pretty yes. BS. I mean, they, they there's, yes, that's what they're using for marketing, but none of that is true. I mean, they, <laughs> they have their own sins of, of a corporation for sure. So that was them preaching to the choir. So Apple fanboys can be like, see, see, they're great. I'm like, no, they're less bad. That doesn't make them great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, guilty as charged. Yeah, exactly. But when it comes to these home devices, that's kind of where I'm leaning for that very reason. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. okay, I'm already doing plenty of business at my choice with Amazon, and I'm already doing plenty of business, not necessarily at my choice, but just because I use a computer with Google. It's just, at this point, they're less bad. But. Well, if you want to really freak out the audience, the reason why TVs are so cheap these days is because of selling your data. So a dumb television, and I still get emails. People want, oh, I don't want a smart TV. I want a dumb TV. Well, you can't. And a dumb TV these days would be significantly more expensive than a smart TV because of this added revenue stream for manufacturers of being able to sell your data, what you're watching, being able to serve ads to you. Oh, dude, you were bumming me up. That's going to be another show. (laughs) We're going to table that for another show. And on that note, we got to take a break. You're listening to Pop Tech Radio. We're coming right back. No one ever said, give it a bit. No one ever said, give it less. We say, give it everything. The world wasn't built by half measures, by the half-hearted. So when we set out to build our boldest SUV ever, we didn't hold anything back. 
Introducing the all-new Telluride. Kia. Give it everything. Expected spring 2019 in limited quantities. And we are back. It is Pop Tech Radio. Mike Etchart, Jeff Morrison. He is the editor-at-large at The Wirecutter. He is also freelance writer and photographer for The New York Times and CNET. And a scuba diver and an aficionado of 360-degree cameras. And Jeff, you got to give us information on how to get to your YouTube video of you scuba diving. Uh, oh, my goodness. Beautiful. Uh, thank you. You mean the diver me? Uh, yes. <laughs> Yeah, that's what everyone wants to see is me in a wetsuit. I know. Right. I know where it's at. <laughs> Goes without saying, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's on my YouTube page. So if you just do a search for me on YouTube, that'll probably come up. Jeff, G-E-O-F-F, by the way, <laughs> Jeff Morrison, and, and check it out. So what were you using to get that? And by the way, when you upload 360-degree content on YouTube, you get the little icon on the left that allows you to literally look around and see what you are seeing. Right. Um, it's breathtaking. I mean, it looks sensational. And obviously, you're in the... And that was a super fun dive as well. So I was in Barbados, and there's a number of shipwrecks all right near you know, the big town of Bridgetown. And it's kind of a marine park. They were, almost all of them were intentionally sunk so you can kind of explore them. So this was one of those ships and I kind of went down inside it and then came up on the other side and went around and there's some fish and stuff and super fun. And yeah, so I used a camera that I recommend at Wirecutter called the Insta360 1X. And it is a um, pretty much the best 360 camera going right now that you can do a lot with it in terms of really high quality photos, high resolution video. It's 5.7K video at 30 frames per second. But you can also do 4K video at 50 frames per second. So you can do some cool like slow motion stuff. And it's very handy. It's not waterproof itself, but you can get two different waterproof cases for it. One of them is more for like surfing and stuff, which I don't do. But I got the dive case, which goes down to, I think, uh, I want to say 30 meters. So like 100 feet, I think. And that's what I had with this. And it's kind of weird looking, the dive case for it. Everyone on the dive boat were like, what is that? And so I was explaining it to like multiple people. (laughs) And unfortunately, because of how sturdy the case has to be to survive that kind of depth, it doesn't disappear. So one of the cool things about 360 cameras, at least the good ones, is they take themselves out of the photo. You can't see the camera, which is kind of neat. Yeah. So you just look around, you're just kind of floating in space. I've had people think it's a drone because you can't see anything with it. Oh. You can see the dive case. You can see part of the dive case in the image, which is a bummer. But, well, oh well, that's what you have to do. And how much is that camera? Camera's around 400. The dive case was, I think, 90. Okay. Um, Relatively inexpensive. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. I mean, I think a dive case for a GoPro is going to be that much. Uh, I can't remember. I mean, I bought one of those, too. And I actually had that with me. I have a wrist strap for the GoPro, so I don't have to actually hold it. Mm-hmm. And then for the 360 camera, I had a little like handle, essentially, for it, so I could move it around and stuff. I have another video that I posted on my Instagram today where it was a GoPro video of a different ship, but I'm moving around a lot, and what's going on behind the GoPro is I'm kind of juggling, I'm getting the GoPro into position and recording with the GoPro while at the same time trying to get the 360 camera to go into video mode to record a video. And I was like, <laughs> none of this is what you should be doing when you're scuba diving inside right. a shipwreck 20 meters go. below the ocean. Yeah. But, but hey, you know, it was fun, and I love 
love it. And um, yeah, that was a good time. Well, and, and briefly, you know, kind of where are we today with 360 cameras? Is it just kind of it is a niche and it is a niche and it always will be because yeah. you're not going to be able to get the image quality with a 360 camera as you would with even a, a point and shoot camera of the same price. The sensors are smaller and there's two of them. Um, the lenses are smaller and there's two of them. So it's more like you can do cool things with it, but it's not really going to be a replacement that said when i'm traveling and trying to get photos of stuff i use my phone the most the 360 camera second and then my big dslr last <laughs> yeah it's like that's the situational camera ironically enough for me uh, bottom line is you're carrying a lot of gear with you on the road i do carry a lot of gear with me yes but yeah. also i do travel photography and travel writing and i need to have good photos and lots of them so and uh, it's a hobby too so yeah. yeah well there you go exactly it's a write-off for you because you actually make money with it so that's Good true. on you. And, of course, if you want to find out more about 360 cameras, you are the reviewer at The Wirecutter for those products. I am. Go check it out. It's at thewirecutter.com. And on that note, folks, we do need to wrap it up. So, Jeff, big thanks. If folks want to find you on the Twitters, on et cetera, where are you? Uh, Tech Writer Jeff with a G on Twitter, Inveterate Adventurer on Instagram uh, with a little underscore in between those two words. That's you have to learn stuff. how to spell inveterate. So yes, that, always a challenge. Well, great having you on the show, as always. And, always fun. Uh, and big thanks to Cody Castleberry. He is my producer and engineer and editor. He makes me sound as good as possible, which is not necessarily good, but huge thanks <laughs> to him. And, of course, big thanks to the folks at Radio America who broadcast us across this wonderful country. Mike Paradiso, Jenny Ditas, all the groovy kids in D.C. And, of course, we are podcast wherever you get your podcasts, which for me is Apple iTunes, but we're pretty much everywhere. So if you want to go back and check out some older editions, we are there. So for Pop Tech Radio, I'm Mike Etchard. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time. The big news from Subaru is the all-new three-row Ascent. It's the biggest SUV from Subaru ever. There's room for seven or eight passengers with a choice of second-row captain's chairs or bench seating. It'll tow up to 5,000 pounds. It has the interior space you need for your whole crew. And it gets you where you want to go with the safety of a Subaru, including standard symmetrical all-wheel drive. The all-new three-row Subaru Ascent. Love is now bigger than ever. Maximum towing capacity varies by trim level, and trailer brakes may be required. See your retailer for details.